I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Megan, we are in season three. We are season it's new, three. It's a new yeah. day. It's a new dawn. <laughs> it's a new dawn. Tyler, how do you feel? You've made it farther and with more dedication into the office than you ever have before. I never imagined that we would get this far with the podcast at all. Like it's, it's okay. mystifying to me that we have, I, I, again, I really do think it's all, I feel bad about this, but I do think it's all because of you keeping us on track, <laughs> but I, it makes me so happy, you know, cause I was like, oh, we're never going to have time when the semester is so busy. And we, you know, and this is like November. I think it's like the worst month for academics, grading, you know, traveling, everything, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, oh, hell yeah, I want to record today. So <laughs> so it's become a real pleasure. But um, but how strange in a way that it's like it actually took us over a year to do just one season. Yeah, yeah, it takes it really spreads out with the once every two weeks. But I feel like that is the that is the timeline for us. And it's working. Yeah, it is. How are you, how are you feeling about entering a new season? I'm feeling great. I'm excited to see how the season gets its, I don't know, season threeness. Like, you know, what is the what is the kind of difference or what is the distinguishing feature? Like at our last episode, our annex episode recapping season two, you mentioned something about feeling like there were things that were going to change with the season. And so I'm looking forward to kind of putting them side by side and seeing how that plays out. Yeah, do you think of a season as a like meaningful unit of I don't narrative or something like that? Yeah. So, well, as I look back at what we've done so far, I do feel like that is the case with season 1 and season 2. But I haven't really thought about it that way before. I think I've got in my head sort of a sense of seasons that are especially good. And some of the kind of changes in tone, or I guess just some of the shifts that there are in different seasons, but that's only vague. And so I think that now as we're going through it more systematically, I'll put that together in a different way. But there's definitely a season one vibe. There's season two. And then I think I think season three is going to give us some distinctions too. So yeah, I, I do feel like they are their own entities in some way it's interesting to think of it as a vibe to use that word like yeah yeah uh, you know there's particular tones and moods like <clears throat> and I did feel just like immediately out of the gate that this episode had a, a slightly different vibe or a slightly different mm -hmm. mood um both visually um and <clears throat> and like kind of in terms of its uh approach to, yeah. to the material and to the humor. So we'll talk about that. But there's also something interesting too about this idea you're saying of like a distinguishing feature or mark mm. that the season makes because that, it, you know, we could think of that in a number of different ways that are not necessarily the vibe, but might be like, you know, the overarching theme or I don't know, you know, a particular narrative thread. Mm. Like in retrospect, it was really striking how much of season two was united by these competing love stories. And so, yeah. um, and the, already in this one, we're like moving in a 
different directions sort of yeah. so yeah so it'll be interesting to kind of think about like what what unites a season yeah oh I like that yeah what unites a season okay that'll be something to look for do you have any revisions or regrets I don't me neither <laughs> <Very rare. laughs> I think so we need a few more new segments in the beginning to get us going since revisions and regrets isn't always <laughs> popping off but nor is our is the mailbag we're not getting anything what what is it called Pam's corner or something oh gosh yeah what did you call it the receptionist oh the receptionist the receptionist yeah the weekly receptionist nothing in our not, gmail not seeing a lot of action but um once we get into the season and we're going back to back you know i'll have plenty of revisions and regrets and it's it's it gets hard sometimes for us to keep this even under two hours i know i know i know that, we gotta work on that you gotta work on that Remember <laughs> our goal was to do it in just under an hour oh i do i still and occasionally think oh yeah we could do that and then i'm like mm. you get going and it's like fuck that there are just way too many things we'd have to break it up into segments where we only did half of an episode at a time yeah it's, it's just not possible i <laughs> i think I, somebody asked me something like oh what do you do like a season an episode or something like that i was like what no 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 <laughs> We did like two episodes on the entire season. Yes. Plus every episode. <laughs> An episode needs at least four times as much time as there oh, is yeah. in an episode, minimum. So. Was, it was funny, you know, so uh, I think the other day I started to watch this episode and I think I like, you know, you're just doing stuff or you're whatever. And yeah. I think I ended up watching four episodes in a row or something like that. And so it was very strange today to sit down and be like oh i'm just doing one episode that's yeah. 22 minutes and yeah. it does feel like very small and discreet in some ways mm -hmm. and then when we sit down and talk about it it's like oh i have a million things to ask you <laughs> um well so to that end should we dive in yeah let's get into it All you right. want to a summary for the day yeah this is season three episode one gay witch hunt gay witch hunt <laughs> it's coming out hot yeah Jim feels like a fish out of water at the Stamford branch. Michael inadvertently outs a gay employee. Interesting that the episode description does not out that gay employee. Um, That's a good point. Just as a, you know. Yeah. And the title itself, I mean, it, it teases with possibility by saying Jim feels like a fish out of water. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, like, you know, anyway. Um wait no. say, more. say more about that well just like oh, the way the parallelism of the summary makes it seem like you could outness yeah being outed or or or, or yeah potentially you know um a parallel scenario over at stanford but that's not yeah. what happens yeah that is so, interesting okay yeah i hadn't thought about that keyword out i did think about the way that it fish out of water just as a line doesn't seem to be the most reasonable simile because a fish out of water is supposed to be you know like you're out of your context and you're out of place and you're uncomfortable with that but a fish out of water is just dying like they flop around well that's a good point have much time and <laughs> they're just completely suffocating which feels if we take it obviously i'm taking it too literally but i think that goes a little far but it's worth it for the out for i think the parallel of the outing yeah. so that's that's interesting 
That's also an interesting point you make, though, because, I mean, we have we only see a little bit of Jim at Stanford, but it doesn't really strike me that he's a fish out of water, either in the sense that he's, you know, um, all of this is new and strange and disorienting for him. That doesn't really feel the case. And or vice versa, that he's dying. Um, I mean, he might be emotionally yeah. dying, but the episode doesn't actually really. Um, Pam seems more bereft than he does. He was, he was emotionally dying last season for yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, if anything, it's a mild, a mild case of fish out of waterness. It does seem like that's a significant thing that changes the form of the episodes and of the season to have Jim at a different place. Okay. Now we get to my very first question. For okay. I have so many questions for you, but one of them I wrote was what was, do are you able to access what your experience of this choice was when you saw it for the first time? Like, and can you, do, do you like the choice either then or now basically to separate Jim and Pam and, and and expand the universe of The Office to show us a different branch. Ooh. I love the way that you put that question. <laughs> Can I access that memory? It does <laughs> feel like it into... Um, Who talks like that? But some intensive kind of psychotherapy to ask, yeah. like, is that a, that's a memory that is there? Can I access it? Yeah. And do know. you feel safe enough to access it with us? <laughs> I do. I'll tell you... Yeah. I, I don't think I have access to the issue of removing Jim, but I do remember, and the first time watching The Office, I watched it as it was live, like as it was on TV. And I remember actually, you know, in the beginning when first there's Ryan's little interview, then there's Pam. So he kind of explains, right, why he's at Jim's desk. Then Pam is looking at him and, you know, sort of like, sort of awkwardly or sort of inappropriately because Jim is not there. And then it cuts suddenly to that Pam Jim kiss scene from the end of the previous season. And I remember being so confused and disoriented because while that is normal in other shows, it was so abnormal here. Like it doesn't cut, right? Like the show doesn't cut into kind of dark and cloudy pasts and it doesn't like splice back and forth between the present and the history in that way and so I do remember feeling really thrown off and it made it feel whatever the opposite of seamless is <laughs> uh jarring awkward jarring, uh, jarring. yeah it felt kind of jarring I think well I definitely agree that it's un I mean I kept thinking actually the ways in which this episode reminded me of how unique this style of sitcom is at the time um, mm -hmm. we get references to Will and Grace for example being on TV and if that's kind of the dominant genre it is really unusual to have a flashback and mm -hmm. um, just in general and it's really unusual in this episode to have a flashback and or this kind of flashback yeah um and also without, there's no music, there's no fanfare and the way that it flashes into it, I agree with you. It's just, it's odd because it's also not clear. And I, I think it might be bad. I don't know. But part of the reason it's, it's, a, it's an interesting choice is that they need to remind the audience that this happened. Um, and I don't, I don't know why they couldn't have had previously on The Office or whatever, but fine. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I guess the question is who is having the flashback? Like, because normally it's a character and we go into their memory and it's sort of Pam's memory, but it's also not. And mm -hmm. also it's confused by the fact that the documentary crew is filming it. So <laughs> anyway, so I agree with you. But the question I had is, is the dialogue that we hear new? Because, yes. okay. So it's like, yeah, it had to remind us and it had to add a little bit, which if this was not, if the previous was not the end of a season and it didn't have to kind of create a cliffhanger, then it could have gone on. But, you know, they didn't in that earlier one um, kind of play it out where, you know, Jim says, says something about how he's wanted to do that so long. And Pam says, me too, but then says, I think we're just drunk. What did we see at the end of the last one that they just kiss and then that's it? I think it's just the kiss and she then kind of pull away. Oh, maybe. I really feel like I should have researched this. Oh, we don't know. I actually, yeah, I, I intended to go back and just watch the very end and didn't. But we don't have all this dialogue. So we but don't you know what? what nor would the audience. About. The audience couldn't have gone back. So it's okay for us to. <laughs> that's true. Okay. Yeah, well, that's right. The audience could not go back. We are working with only the text itself. So he says, you have no idea how long I wanted to do that. She says, me too. I think we're just drunk. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not drunk. Are you drunk? No. No. And I love this dialogue. I love it for okay. so many reasons. Okay. It kind of addresses... Say again? Let's talk about it, Tyler. Well, I just love... First, I think it's really um, romantic. It's hot. It's charming. It's intimate. It kind of addresses some of the questions we had ab about that kiss at the end of season two, or at least I had where I was kind of like not about like whether it was consensual but kind of just the way that she reacts and yes and whatever and it's really interesting that they choose to underscore like actually no they're not drunk this was not a yeah that's a ir really irrational you know accident or something like that yeah. it also underscores that she also wants to do this for a really long time she has the desire too um mm -hmm. yeah Anyway, totally. I, I just love that. I also love when he says, are you really going to marry him? You know, yes. and it's like, that's been this subtext the whole previous season where it's like, this guy doesn't. Yeah. About you. And when she says yes, and Jim says, okay. It felt like it, it felt like that was a really meaningful. Okay. Where he kind of thought, okay, then like this, this is it. This is the clear. No. And I'm stepping back. Yeah. What did you make of it? I thought, yeah, so I definitely found it, like I said, jarring. Like it's kind of an odd formal issue. But at the same time, I think it's kind of like they just didn't really have another option exactly. Because there there's the previously on, but they since they had withheld the dialogue and it had ended on the kiss, and I can't remember if she had like, pulled away or not at that point but um they had to have a way to give it to us so I kind of like I, I get that as a choice um yeah I don't know I I felt like it was I, I guess one of the other things that's interesting about it because it is the sort of powerful emotional scene in some ways really really interesting how she acknowledges 
like me too. I've wanted to do that too, but also I can't do this and I am going to marry him. But the way that it's juxtaposed then with Dwight immediately afterward, mm-hmm. this is like still before it goes to the music and the credits, there's Dwight huh. like fake crying, right? Jim is gone. He's gone. I miss him so much. Oh, I cry myself to sleep. Jim false. I do not miss him. So it's an interesting thing where it does like, it kind of takes that emotional sensitive part of the show and then goes to this Dwight interview. Yeah. I, this is, I don't know, for whatever reason, this felt more pronounced to me the first time I started, I dove into this like last week and this time through, it didn't like feel as intense, but I felt that the whole episode um had a slightly different a slightly zanier vibe Hmm. i felt that everybody was a little crazier a little more dialed up and i'm not sure whether i like it yet or not Mm -hmm. i think i do but it is a little different to me and so dwight's acting and reaction there was a good example of that tone Mm -hmm. i mean it's really over the top and it's really funny um but it just is a it's a slightly different Hmm. I felt like um okay so something to track is zaniness in this episode the zany scale um just a couple other things we I I wanted to talk about with the cold open number one the sound okay the sound design throughout this whole episode I really like and there's a Tyler confession what does sound design mean (laughs) oh yeah okay so like um there's a scene later I can't remember where um when uh basically like you hear people like clicking and clacking the key oh, yeah yeah okay so like that is probably not recorded with on the day because they're like keeping oh, all sound yeah. all sound um quiet so they can get the dialogue clean and then any other sound effects or atmospheric sound or whatever would be added in later most likely by a by a sound designer or a sound mixer um interesting okay so for example like we hear their lips kind of kissing but especially we hear the crinkling of her dress yes i was noticing that yeah and so that is that would be an example of like and i think the idea is like okay we're hearing these things because both their mic both their bodies are mic'd and their mics are close together and but yeah. still, it was a choice the way that they designed that. But it also reminded me what makes The Office unique as a show. I think others have taken this up and maybe others preceded it, but there is no laugh track, right? And so in the absence of a laugh track, you don't have really the same kind of music and you definitely don't have, you you have a lot more silence and the show really like leans into hmm. the silences. I'm going to have a lot to say about Roy's silences. Um, Hmm. but anyway um this all goes back to stanley drawing our attention to the silences yes oh my god well and the show also foregrounds the sound i'm sorry i can't believe i have so much to say but keep bringing it it foregrounds the sound in the opening shot and the opening thing which is clipping nails the sound nail yes yes Um, so i wanted to ask you i have a lot of questions for you still but um how did you feel about the nail clipping and is it a metaphor for something in this episode? Oh God. Um, I felt disgusted by the nail clipping. And 
I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. I guess, is it a, um, does it sort of have some kind of reference to questions about boundaries in the office and Ooh. like what should and should not come out of the office? And partly it's something that's so bodily. Yes. And then the way that Michael takes, um, and this is probably the case for Angela too, but I'm thinking like of when Michael directs Dwight to pull up gay porn on his yeah. um, computer. There's the thing where it's like bringing the very bodily aspect of it or like imagination of it into the office. So it feels like maybe with Dwight, there is something about asking, yeah, like what are the boundaries, particularly for the body within the office? Oh my God, that's so smart. I love that. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's so great. Neither your question made me think of it. <laughs> I think that's so right though, because, and I'm thinking too about how, you know, um, I just feel like people are often telling me or talking about how feet are gross, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and uh, I wanna, there's, I have a really long story to tell you, but in my class the other day, um, students got into talking about like wiki feed and feet pics and like, you know, fetish foot fetishism basically and the disgust that they had for people that are into feet was mm -hmm. i thought like depressing and surprising but i i was but it just it matched with this kind of general thing i feel like people are often like ew feet are so gross and disgusting but in the office right like that's something we don't really see your feet right they're always covered yeah. twice yeah. over with shoes and socks or stockings or something yeah and um even on a casual Friday, you probably wouldn't be wearing sandals. And well, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of men's feet as opposed to women's feet, but maybe that's an interesting difference too. I feel like the discourse around men's feet and whether they should be exposed and women's feet, like there is no dress right. sandal for men. Right. But there are open-toed shoes. I feel like Toby at some point wears sandals to the office. That might be on a beach day, but um there's a real gender thing, I think, to foot exposure. I didn't realize that. You're totally right. Hmm. Oh. Um, huh. But also it is just gross. Don't clip your fucking toenails at work and yes, we're not blow them all over. Leaving that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have one other question for you about this cold open. So Ooh, in it, a lot of questions. Okay. Uh, we discover that Ryan has taken over Jim's job. Um, and he says, at my 10-year high school reunion, it will not say Ryan Howard is a temp. My question for you, did you go to your 10-year high school reunion? How do you feel about high school reunions? I did not go. And yeah. so, because you hate the concept of reunion, because, well, tell me everything. Oof. Yeah, I did not go. I did not have the desire to go. And recently, you know what recently came up with that was an invitation for my 20th high school Whoa. reunion. I know, I know. I find found myself kind of wanting to want to go, but completely not wanting to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if part of it is like about wanting to be a different kind of person. <laughs> part of it is maybe, I don't know. I mean... I actually guess I don't go on Facebook anymore, so I don't actually really know what people are up to. But I feel like I have people that I could ask if I really want to. I could lurk and uh, I could find information. 
if needed. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I want to want to. I want to have, I don't know. It feels like a thing of a different time in some ways. I feel like the high school reunion era has passed us. But I don't know. Listeners, if you went to a high school reunion, please call and not call, <laughs> email and uh, tell us about it because I really am interested in this. Tyler, please tell me you went to your high school reunion. I did not, no. And I would not ever go. <laughs> I hated high school and yeah, I don't really want, I mean, there was a point I think in grad school when I like joined Facebook or something and I friended like a ton of people from high school. Mm-hmm. I think it was out of that kind of sense of like, well, what are people doing? And yeah, we're, and, and I don't know, partly sense too of like, I don't know, something I've always struggled with is, is this sense of like, is my identity consistent in any way as I move through mm-hmm. time and as I move through different social worlds, is there any part of me that is coherent or whatever? And so I think there was some, I was going through some stuff and I wanted to see that, but very quickly, like I kind of unfriended all of those people yeah. and I think left Facebook and then came back and now I just like use it exclusively for professional. Yeah. Thing. And, uh, but um, yeah, it, your relationship to social media has always fascinated me because, <laughs> um, because I don't know what you do with your time. You're not really on it. And so, you know, I don't know. And also, yeah, anyway, I, I feel, I feel like, um, but I think you're right. I think you're really right because the thing about social media is, okay, so if you friended every, if you and I were like coming up right now, right, and like we were in high school and it's like graduation comes and it's like, oh, you know, like I'm never going to see you again. It's like, well, actually you're on my Snapchat, you're on my Instagram, you're on my Facebook, you're on my fucking, you know, TikTok, like whatever. So there isn't that sense of kind of like break and moving forward. and. Also, there isn't that need for the, you know, presumably the high school reunion is kind of like, oh, that's what you're doing. Cool. And that's what like various versions of social media potentially allow you to do is sort of be like, oh, okay, like, do you have kids or not? Like, did you get bald or not? You know, are you, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It does seem to go to your your question about um, being consistent. Like, is there consistency? And... I don't think for any of us, there's total consistency because we just like live in different circles and different worlds and you kind of have different languages and points of reference and all of that within those different realms. But I think there is a curious, like if we didn't have kind of internet access to know what where people had ended up, I think there would be a more intense curiosity. You know, like did this person who was this way in high school turn out to be that? Right, and right. Maybe this connects to Roy because, <laughs> right. about, you know, like being on the football team and feeling like they're at the, like um, Katie says, we're at the popular kids table in high school. You're like, do, does the popular table remain what they are supposed to be? <laughs> like, you know, was that their destiny or do they end up kind of being different than that would have suggested? And then you get to feel sort of vindicated if you were not one of those and if yes. you were with their turtlenecks and yes. all of that. So there are really, and I guess that goes to Ryan's thing too. Like he wants the high school reunion is a chance to prove yourself and right. that you're not the thing that they thought you were going to be. Right. I, 
Well, first, I'm definitely thinking about, you know, I don't know if this is like still a trope or not, but, you know, it was definitely the case in the earlier years of social media. <laughs> it feels weird to talk about, you know, like, oh, 10 years ago, but mm -hmm. um, I'm getting old. Uh, but basically, like, yeah, like a bunch of people came out as queer in one way or another after high school, right? And like, I don't know if that still yes. happens or not, if yes. because I'm sure it happens in lots of places, but maybe it's less of a thing if people are able to come out earlier who, you know, I don't know. I'm not around a bunch of 16 year olds to know, but you know, even my own students who are 18, 19, 20, whatever, like a lot of them describe being out much earlier. Um, than yeah. And yeah. so that was part of what was kind of interesting to me. It was like, Oh my God, like you're queer too. Or like you were gay. Like what? You were so homophobic, like, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which not, michael's past as well precisely well, yeah 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 yeah. out of sequence but yeah wow, this cold open actually does bring up a lot of threads it does bring up a lot one of the others it made me think of this is when ryan says um at my tenure high school reunion it will not say ryan howard is a temp it will say ryan howard is a junior sales associate in a mid-range paper supply firm that'll show him which reminds me of Jim describing Dwight's award when <laughs> he said something like, it is literally the highest honor you can receive as a whatever, 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 the kind of long list of the very specific position that Dwight has. <laughs> um, all right, well, maybe we should dive into the actual subject of this episode. <laughs> Let's get into this. Which is that Michael has been using the phrase faggy <laughs> yes. and is discovers from toby that oscar is actually gay and i have to tell you this entire situation made me question toby's ability as an hr representative because when he's like he's like i'm telling yeah. you this obviously he hopes you can count on your discretion i'm like come on toby like you know that he's not gonna be discreet <laughs> what are you doing and it was completely unnecessary because it could just be like yeah you shouldn't call people faggy at work or anywhere but he's the hr guy right so specifically at work regardless of who it is you just can't do it so that did feel like something with toby where it was like dude just think this out a little bit more ahead of time exactly yeah 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 were you surprised in this if you looked at the script that it was spelled f-a-g-g-i-e and not why that seems wrong to me. It seems wrong to me too, because I was thinking about it like baggy. You right. know, so I'm like, what's another similar word? But so, anyways, uh, that's that's a spelling contention that I have. But I, I mean, there's some funny language here. Um, I thought about whether or not we're allowed to say the R word um, because Michael does. Yes. Uh, and um, so I'm not going to say it, but it is just interesting first that like, he does say it he's able to say it on you know national television i don't know if that would still be the case but also it's a really amusing point where he's like you don't call <laughs> yeah <don't>... anyway <laughs> right just so what he just what he says is bad taste is really funny and um so so funny he has a whole reasoning and logic behind it and you wouldn't call somebody faggy if you knew they were gay is basically what he's saying and I, I mean that's the other this was a moment where I was like is this bad writing have we gone a little too winky but so when Dwight says well you could just pretend you could assume everyone is 
you know, and just treat any, and it's, I mean, it leads to a really funny line, which is, oh yeah, like everybody wants to be treated like they're gay, but uh -huh. Dwight saying that though showed a certain level of like kind of empathy or tolerance language that I was like, eh, that seems more like the writer's than <laughs> Dwight yeah that's true that's a good point um I think one thing I wanted to ask you and maybe this is a question that kind of goes through more of the episode to keep thinking about um but that was like what does gayness signify right um, so I was like I was thinking back so like getting this bit of information right that somebody is gay or calling somebody gay like what does it signify so it made me think back to Michael and this was in season one who is it he tells I think doesn't he tell Jim don't be too gay on the court right. is that Jim? he says that so anyway and then he says like no no I mean in the bad at sports way so like one way to take that is right it means bad at sports Toby says it mean like just say lame instead so I think there was an interesting thing here. Let me read a couple of the, the lines about like the meaning of the term and the use of language. So Michael says, um, Toby's in Michael's office. This is the beginning. Michael says, no, that is the fun of this place. I call everybody faggy. Why would anybody find that offensive? Okay, I think Oscar would just like if you use lame or something like that. That's what faggy means. I feel awkward, honestly, even reading this at this point, but it's script. Um, no, not really. Apparently you called Oscar faggy for liking the movie Shakespeare in Love more than an action movie. It wasn't just an action movie. It was diehard. All right, Michael, but Oscar's really gay. Michael, exactly. Toby, I mean, for real. Michael, yeah, I know. Toby, no, I mean, he's attracted to other men. Michael, okay, a little too far. Cross the line. Toby, okay, I am telling you, Oscar is an actual homosexual. For some reason, that line just makes me laugh. Yes. Time. Actual homosexual. Uh, yeah, he told me this morning, and obviously he hopes he can count on your discretion. So one thing I thought was really interesting here is, first of all, that question of like, what, you know, what words can you use to call somebody lame? What is the reasoning for it? So it's liking the movie Shakespeare in Love. And Michael at first kind of thinks that Toby is getting in on it so like yes. when Toby is saying oh he's really gay and he's saying he's attracted to other men Michael thinks it's gone too far so he like is actually <laughs> to go back to the episode the sexual harassment episode where they ask where is the line Michael is kind of identifying the line like he's feeling like you know calling calling um Oscar this is not a big deal but when you get kind of more literal about it and you say he's actually attracted to other men like then you're kind of going too far in calling him gay so i just i just thought that was a really interesting exchange where michael is both in trouble but is also like not yet registering kind of what's going on and is calling toby out for being too homophobic yes yes <laughs> <laughs> that's what's so great about it I love that point you're making because what a close reading and you're right like I do it's so funny that Michael is the one who's saying no you cross the line now yes. um, it's interesting too if we were to rewrite this now I think they like because I was thinking about this too like okay he says he would prefer um 
uh, he would just like if you use lame or something like that. Like lame, I don't think you could use or would want to use anymore, right? Like because of its oh, associations with disability. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I was trying to think like, okay, what would be the word that Oscar or that uh, Toby would reference now instead of like lame if if this if it was written today and I was like is it uncool is it too, you know it's like hard to imagine which because there is something specifically shamey and about the femininity of the choice right yes. between Shakespeare yes. in love and die hard um yeah yeah I, I think you're onto something really interesting about this associations my students are often saying to me oh you know I teach LGBTQ lit and queer theory and like they're all like oh everything's progressed so much blah 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 and then they'll tell me that like oh you know all across campus all these students are still using gay in this pejorative way you know and and mm -hmm. like you know all kinds of homophobic language and I'm just like I mean in the bathroom the other day this week like somebody had written fag like on the stall or whatever and I'm just like oh. man this stuff is still with us in some ways and so yeah it, 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 anyway this it, I've been I was thinking a lot about that but I do have a question for you this could be podcast breaking so oh okay have you seen Die Hard no oh my god <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Shakespeare in Love also no whoa come on <laughs> Yeah, so what are you going to call me now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so I think we're going to have to have an annex question. episode where you watch Die Hard, I think, and Shakespeare in Love. I think we're going to have to watch both. Oh, that would be good to watch them in combination. But what, what's at stake of the question, Tyler? What are your, what's your take on these movies? I don't know. I love having like, I love hopping on a bandwagon, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm shameless in that way. And I don't really give that much of a crap about Die Hard, but it is a really good script. It's a great, you know, kind of like action movie. And, you know, I think nerds are a little too obsessed with it. And I say, I can say that because I'm a nerd, but, um, but so yeah, it anyway, it, sorry. Is it not that mask? I mean, it's, that seems like an interesting intersection because it's supposed to be a really masculine movie. Right. And like, where's the where's the super masculine nerd venn diagram like where's that intersection and what does this mean about michael picking that like is this known to be a nerd movie no or? i don't think so i think i think um no it would signify as like totally butch or whatever okay. but um but i actually just know a lot of women who love die hard and who watch it every christmas because it takes place on christmas and really? is like a Christmas movie. That's the perennial debate or whatever. Is that the right word? Every year people um, will debate online is Die Hard or not the ultimate Christmas movie or whatever. Oh. So there's that level of kind of nerd culture. But I do think, I mean, this is something I think we talked about early on the ways in which in the time of the office, it felt like I think you had more conventional masculinity, sports and, and whatever. Um, you know and then you had like nerds and dwight is the nerd in the office who's into lost and yeah. Northern Woods or whatever but yeah. i feel like our contemporary moment is like oh no you've got like the jock and the nerd are one you know and they're still both toxically masculine <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that's my theory but um okay this is uh this is new information for me that you've never seen die hard so how has your education failed you um in this way i'm 
we live together. I, I don't know. I think you're the only person who can really evaluate my education on this point because I don't really know what I'm missing. I did watch the preview for Shakespeare in Love before we did this episode. Interesting. I love them, or I used to. I mean, when it came out, I haven't watched it in, you know, 20 years, but I really loved it at the time. I would be more, much more inclined to watch that than to watch Die Hard. What do we think it shows about Oscar that he likes Shakespeare in Love more than um, Die Hard? Aside from Michael's interpretation that it just means you're gay. But for Michael, it, do- it actually, the interesting thing is that for Michael, it like, calling him gay, gay does not mean he's gay. Right. Not literally. Or in calling him that, it doesn't mean he's gay. Yeah, not literally. Exactly. Well, it does fit with, I mean, what's funny about Shakespeare in Love is it's kind of, I, th- I remember people being pissed that it won the Oscar that year. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember mm-hmm. what it beat out, but it was off. It was one of those things where it's like, oh, the Oscars picked the like more middle brow you know, art that like present or, you know, something that presents itself as, you know, high culture, but it's actually for the masses. Yeah. So it's just interesting because Oscar imagines himself to be an esthete, right? He cares about art. Yes. So I think that's what Shakespeare in Love signifies, not just obviously. I mean, it has a lot of gender play and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's about, you know, sexuality and romance and, love it's a love story you know but yeah because it's different to think about like to reference Shakespeare is different than like because Michael could just you describe like think think that basically any say romantic comedy or any kind of like chick flick type of movie you know would get that reaction out of him but something specific and different about Shakespeare and love yeah where it does connect to art it does connect to reference to high culture not to say that it is necessarily itself high culture but um yeah some something interesting with Oscar there I'm curious what you think about because it almost I kept thinking about Megan's theory of reading which is like how certain characters enable other characters to test out or you know to test out different philosophies reactions and it was really striking how we get Angela and Kevin yes and there we, and obviously Michael too. We got to talk about Michael's whole thing, but for the moment, thoughts on Angela and Kevin's reaction to Oscars? Yes, this actually is exactly the thing that made me want to ask, like, what does gain? What does the idea of gainus signify to mm. people? And so for Kevin, it's hilarious. Just so he can't even speak, like, kind of in the interviews, he can't even speak. He's just laughing. So he takes this great pleasure out of it but it doesn't seem please please correct me if this is wrong or if this is problematic but in Kevin it doesn't strike me as a real uh judgmental laughter that doesn't mean that it's not a hurtful laughter but it's like a it's not derisive exactly does that make sense totally yeah just kind of his his um I don't know style the way in which he thinks it's funny Angela brings out the hand sanitizer so for her like it's really about dirtiness and filth and contamination right where like it can contaminate her in some way and one thing I noticed watching this time is that behind her and I think this is when she's taking out the hand sanitizer and sort of over dramatically sanitizing her hands and we should remember that hand sanitizer had a different place in our culture pre-covid yeah right 
right? It was not like that constant presence that it is now. But behind her, there's this kind of like Uncle Sam statue kind of thing. He's wearing, I think, American flag pants and then it turns the other way and you can see a couple of American flags. Like there's this, all this American flag stuff around her when she is sanitizing her hands. Then she also talks about, Michael asks, you know, like who's to judge this? And she says judges and juries. So it feels like she is associated specifically with a, a particularly American judgment about it. Like she kind of aligns herself both with um, cleanliness and with law and order. That is so smart. And so like a weird patriotism about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't and know, I mean, what are your thoughts on these ones? Well, I'm just, I think you're totally right. And I think um, that's such an interesting analysis because, yeah, I mean, Michael says, you know, gay marriage is currently not legal under U.S. law. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we're past the moment of, you know, like sodomy laws or whatever. But at the same time, you also have like a pretty um, evangelical discourse coming from the president at the time and a kind of they were using you know gay marriage and gay you know all this stuff as like a wedge issue to republicans were to win elections in this time and so it's really interesting that i think you're totally right i haven't put that together that angela has this kind of specifically american criminalized view um but i completely agree with your kevin reading i mean it matches kevin's personality anyway which is to make yeah. jokes and dirty stuff you know whatever and to find sex just inherently amusing mm -hmm. um, but also my favorite some of my favorite moments in the episode are later right after the judge and jury saying michael says i bet a lot of straight men wish that applied to them so they could go out there <laughs> and have some torrid unabashed monkey sex as much as they could you know sounds pretty good right and kevin goes that sounds great <laughs> and I mean, I think it was pretty shocking to hear him describe it as like monkey sex. And I kept thinking about like, you know, the the implications of that metaphor. And I don't I haven't really heard that before. And so I kept thinking about, you know, what what are the yeah, what's going on there? Um, but uh, but Kevin's kind of affirmation of it. Michael's as well is very funny. Yeah. And so, too, is Creed's. And I felt like Creed. I thought you were going to love Creed. I was like, this justifies what I said in the annex about wanting to try to befriend Creed. He says, I'm not offended by homosexuality. In the 60s, I made love to many, many women, often outdoors, in the mud and the rain. And it was possible a man slipped in and there would be no way of knowing. <laughs> also, did all of his sex take place at Woodstock? Like, what is the context? Yes, <laughs> oh <laughs> that is so funny um gosh that just took me off track I lost it oh I was gonna say one thing about the the monkey sex thing that connects back to when Michael was sending back to the thing about email forwards and he was forwarding a monkey sex thing oh we've heard specifically about I this oh, before yeah. um but yeah, I mean, there is definitely this thing of thinking about like the right of being like outside of 
civilization and being animal and that kind of thing. Right, right. Before we pass Angela, I wanted to ask what you think about when she says in her interview, so there's Kevin laughing, but then Angela just says it explains so much. What does she mean? Other than she doesn't like him or she doesn't, I I was wondering about that. Yeah. But I really don't like Angela and I think we're not meant to, you know, it's just really hard for me because I've met her. I like know I have Angela's in my life. That oh, people exactly. you, met, you met her her okay yeah say more about that i can't i'm not gonna name names okay okay, okay. i know angela yeah yeah so the thing that she said that really like sent shivers down my spine because i was like oh my god like this has been said to me or things like it but so she's like yes i've seen will and grace um I find it, you know, incredibly loud. Wow, Except yeah. She likes it when Henry Harry Connick Jr. is on. He's so talented. And so what I found really interesting about that was first, so the documentarians must have asked her, do you watch Will and Grace? Or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Or like, what do you want? Like, I'm always wondering, like, what are the prompts that the characters are being asked? But nonetheless, the fact that she says they're so loud and then that he's so yeah. talented just reminded me of, the ways in which people euphemistically are yeah. homophobic or racist or whatever. Yeah. And so loud there means, you know, too effeminate or too out or too proud or too in your yeah. face or whatever. And then he's so talented, like she's turned on by him, right? Like, but she huh. can't, can't describe it in those ways. And, um, but also if you watch enough of it to watch the episodes where this guy pops up, you're watching the show anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Because how many, how often is he on? I don't know. I got to, well, I'll research that for the revisions. Yeah, that would, that's just interesting, like to get the ratio. Yeah. How often does she have to be watching in order to realistically catch his appearances? That is really interesting. Like she needs a a rationalization for watching it. But do you have a theory on what she means by it explains a lot? Do you have an answer? I just was sort of fascinated by it. I think, like, I don't know what it is that she thinks that it explains, but it did make me think of, uh, do I need to go pull a book off of my shelf? (laughs) It did make me think about the history of sexuality. And there's this part when (laughs) Foucault, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going, uh, I'm I'm taking the, the real professor track here but talks about the kind of idea or the, I don't know, the way, like how how do people think about um, being gay as an identity? Like how yeah. that comes to sort of congeal in an identity and to be thought of as a kind of person right. as opposed to like an act or a thing that someone desires or a thing that someone does mm-hmm. and it becomes a kind of person. Mm. And, there's a line that talks about sexuality being like the secret revealed on his face or something like that, where it's like, this is the key to unlocking all of this information about somebody. So it sort of felt like that was this sort of thing where it's like, it explains so much, like that was the key that suddenly explains so much about who a person is and the things that they do in the office and the reasons that they annoy you and all of that. Oh, Megan, you are so fucking smart. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm over here saying like, well, I teach queer theory, whatever. And like, that didn't, I didn't think about that. That's so smart. So smart. And it's also making me really appreciate this episode in a different way, because I think the first time I rewatched it, I was kind of like, eh, like, is this a redo of Diversity Day or one of the other, you know, have we seen this kind of before? But yeah. Um, but what you're, what's so interesting is you're right. Like we're seeing others treat queerness as the secret essence of a particular identity yeah. but the yeah. show is not and oscar is not like yes he even is sort of like what makes him seemingly it's so uncomfortable is the ways in which they are kind of globalizing it into the entirety of his identity rather than you yes know, something uh, i mean i mean he doesn't really even remark that much about what what it what it is or means yeah. to him yeah um, you're right, like they're reading so much more than onto him than this has actually told them. And I think that comes up with Kelly, who I think is so funny. So there are yeah. a couple of interviews, there are two interviews with Oscar that I wanted to put that I thought might be kind of interesting to put together. So the first is where he says, No, I'm not gay. And I don't understand why anyone think that I'm gay if uh yeah I'm gay so he's like kind of trying to deny and then just decides in this interview like you know I can't whatever I'm just gonna say it then Kelly at some points comes up to him and she is so excited and she says that is so cool that you're gay I totally underestimated you <laughs> and I guess first of all did you have any reaction to Kelly <laughs> yeah I thought oh that's so interesting how kind of gayness signifies coolness to her or like and i think that we see that a lot this kind of like queerness can signify as modernity or like the new yeah. or the future um progress or whatever i mean it can also signify like a kind of look how tolerant we are compared to mm -hmm. you know some other whatever nation yeah. or group of people yeah. or something like that um but in this case, I was really, yeah, struck by just the kind of like, I don't know if I would call it coolness, but. Yeah, I think you're right, though. Yeah, I think yeah. we're in a coolness for Kelly. Yeah, which is charming, if irritating as well. Like, yes. <laughs> um, I'm sure yes. it's irritating to to Oscar. I thought it was. Oh, go ahead. Keep yes, I felt like totally. No, I just read both of those things. Yeah, I both found it. Um charming and for Oscar irritating and the I totally underestimated you so it's like nothing the sort of backhandedness of that that I over underestimated yes, you. Like, there was yes. nothing else about you this person I knew that I was especially impressed by but now that I know this thing so it makes me wonder if she almost has like the kind of inverse of Angela's you know knowing the secret that tells everything about that kind of unlocks everything about you and for Kelly it just unlocked him in the opposite direction but then in the interview directly following that oscar says yes i'm super cool i'm an accountant at a failing paper supply company in scranton much like um sir ian mckellen so it felt like he was kind of i don't know i feel like i was even trying to watch his face in that and just like what he's bringing us back to are all of the un glamorous things about him and the things we knew about him before that he's an accountant at a failing paper supply company um i don't know so it kind of takes some of the sheen off of right 
super cool. Yeah, I like that the show is in prison. I mean, as I'd be interesting just to think about him in the history of kind of gay characters on TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and we'd had Ellen, you know, come out at this point famously. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I, I mean, just the fact that he is outed and that is the problem and it's a problem for corporate and the lawsuits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I want to think about, but it's interesting just that he's, yeah, not, he's not a like a hero or whatever of this episode. He's just like, just a guy, you know? And I mean, I think that that emphasizes the, the, what the office does, right? It's trying to get at the, like the most banal ordinariness and that that can be in its own way, I think kind of progressive, right? To sort of just yeah. present his yeah. banality. However, this line actually bothered me. And it was to go back to my question about the season three vibe. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, we've now had Ryan, Oscar, and I feel like, Jim maybe elsewhere reference like uh this is a failing paper supply company mm. in a in a like you know bumblefuck place to live or whatever and I was like that vibe I guess that vibe was always over the hanging over the show but yeah. it was kind of contained to just Jim and I felt like that was important partly for good and for bad, partly to sort of have a character who's like, "Ugh, can you believe all these normies who yeah. just work their lives? I don't want to become like them. Um, and on the other hand, to sort of like, uh, I don't know, give us a bunch of characters who just work day to day jobs and like, yeah, they're alienating and they suck, but it's not like uh tragic or something like that and yeah. so this just made me wonder like if the show was becoming a little too aware mm. of of its representation or it was just weird to me suddenly multiple characters were yeah. but it's not out of out of the realm of possibility right like ryan has always been trying to get out of this job oscar yeah. has always been like this place is failing so mm -hmm. i don't know just it just hit me that everybody was saying it yeah hmm Oh, that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Can I ask you about Jan coming in and yeah. saying you're so obtuse about sexual orientation, coming out as a significant moment for a gay person, they should be allowed to select the timing and manner of announcing it. Um, your immaturity is extremely disappointing. <laughs> that may even lead to a lawsuit. So, yeah, thoughts? Nothing. <laughs> Good question. Maybe nothing. <laughs> well, I have a thought that's about Michael in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, need to, I need to not disrespect Jan. I need to say something about Jan. I mean, she's got the... There's a way that she waves to Oscar when she walks in. Yes. Like a little bit much. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I guess she really brings us the kind of corporate language and corporate handling of this kind of stuff. Um, one of the things though, okay, I just, I have, I have to go to it. This is after she says, how could you be so obtuse about sexual orientation? And then when Michael says, I watch the L word, I watch queer as fuck. <laughs> he says, that is not what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was, I don't know. So charming. It's so funny. Um, you know, I always love his kind of linguistic <laughs> slip ups and fuck instead of folk here. But um, 
God, why do I love this so much? It just, it makes me laugh so much every time. One interesting thing, I guess, is the the fact that this is a show, right? Like this is an episode that is referring to watching TV about gay characters. Yeah. You know, so like that's- That's right. Kind of an interesting thing there. And you think, so Michael puts us in the position or the question, I guess, of what does it mean to watch those things, right? Like, does it yes. make it not obtuse about sexual orientation to watch that kind of stuff? Also though, I found this is maybe something about network television or about when there is censorship and I guess it's actually interesting like which of the f words get censored now and I think it would probably be a little bit different now but yeah um, Yeah. there was something that was really funny in this case about the fact that it gets beeped out because it just makes it so like it wouldn't be as (laughs) off guard or it wouldn't be as um I don't know. I'm just thinking like if if it just if it didn't bleep out and he was able to see say queer as fuck, like it also blurs out his mouth, you know, so you can't like you're not supposed to be able to read it. I just I don't know why there was something so funny about that. <laughs> and I got nothing else to say about it, just that I find it hilarious every no, time. Oh, that's great. I mean, it made me laugh. And I love this point that you're making about well, I mean, because it does. There is some ambiguity here, like, does Michael watch those shows or not? If so, yeah, yeah right. Interesting. And just also the fact that they're on television and that he's aware of them in the cultural discourse. I, I'm loving all this. Yeah. Point. I do think you're totally right. Jan comes in. And on the one hand, she's giving the corporate speak. On the other hand, she's telling the audience, she's teaching a homophobic audience, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is a significant moment and gay people should be allowed to select the timing and manner of announcing it because you know definitely yeah yeah. I had people you know um out me to other people you Mm. know as bisexual or queer um and that was like upsetting but also it can be like equally as upsetting when you come out to people and then they'll be like oh I knew I knew that all along or something Mm -hmm. like that you know and like so I appreciated Jan's emphasis on kind of like this is a delicate and important moment and has to be handled you know, delicately. And then Michael does not learn that lesson at all. And I found it very funny in the uh, conference room when he's saying, um, okay, you can f- officially come out however you want, stand up, like do it this way. Like he's basically like forcing him yeah, yeah. to do it. And um, anyway, I thought that was really funny. Huh. Did you find in this scene that Jan was actually a more effective teacher about how to think about this than mr brown who reappears at the end of the at the end of the episode oh i don't remember man i'd have to go back and watch but i mean to be fair neither of them get through to michael so although you <laughs> made the case that maybe michael learned something from the diversity day seminar yeah um, and because but... they have like with his hero sign he's back at um yes stanford which is just so funny Yes. I also thought about that. So, you know, um, Josh, the manager there says, you know, we need to have another diversity training based on some things that happened, happened at Scranton. And I was curious what the things were that happened at Scranton that it was referring to, because it's happening on the same day. Oh, that's a good point, because I assumed it was like what we were seeing, but it can't be really, or at least the way the editing makes it seem. Yeah. Um, 
Oh my God, how are we ever going to finish this? I have like so many things. I, Tyler, <laughs> I don't know. All I've right, well, through well, like half. Because like we haven't even talked about Roy and Pam. We haven't talked about, but like we haven't talked about Stanford and Andy. And we haven't um, talked about the conference room meeting. But the conference room meeting is really the, how long have we been going? Have we been going like? Uh, <laughs> like 80. Minutes, maybe. Oh my god! Close to um, that. I don't know. Do we need to split this one? We might need to. We might need to. Let's. Why don't we wrap up the conference room part and see? And okay. then we can pick it up. We'll maybe do a second episode on this. But yes. Um, okay. So, or or just if not the conference room, the whole thread of Michael's reactions. Yes. Okay. Are, I'm so far the opposite way. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, you know, then he's like, oh, one of my favorite lines. The company has made it my responsibility today to put an end to a hundred thousand years of being weirded out by gays. <laughs> and I mean, I thought it was interesting that like that's what he thinks is needs to occur. Like, and it is both, I think, in some ways, like a kind of parody of or a satire of a certain discourse of tolerance that mm -hmm. acts as if like to tolerate something you need to like unequivocally approve of it and mm -hmm. like or you know agree with it or whatever so like the fact that he's like pulls up gay porn and he's he started i love his reading in the line it's all good <laughs> um i don't particularly get into this but uh you know what i totally see the merit and actually it is quite beautiful like <laughs> that is not required, it's not required. <laughs> but the fact that someone would think that it is or that they would, they would misinterpret the discourse of tolerance to mean you know essentially you have to but it also speaks to michael's whole defensive projection mm -hmm. of his his own you know um potential queerness which you have convinced me about with his fetishism and objectification of orion but really comes to the fore here i don't know i was just curious what you made of all of that leading up to his kiss Oof, it does <laughs> oh gosh there's just i'm becoming overwhelmed there's so much one thing i guess just related on the him kind of <clears throat> figuring out trying to feel out how do you be good on this issue if you know what i mean like how, how does he kind of do the right thing and say the right thing and when he's talking to Oscar and Oscar asks, am I the first gay man you ever knew? Yeah. And Michael says, trick question, because you can't always tell. So how would I know? Is that the right answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, you know, trying to like being kind of uncertain and trying to feel out. Yeah. How do I how do I do this? Um, one of the most striking things to me, then, is the interaction with Phyllis. Yes. This is in the conference room. And comes out the phyllis is engaged um but then the michael asks her but still phyllis in college did you ever experiment with other women a lot of women do phyllis no you knew me in high school of course we all thought you were gay in high school michael laughing right and i take that as a compliment phyllis well with your ties and your matching socks and michael well i just uh i just like to look good okay so Oscar, you sound pretty defensive, Michael. Michael, no, I'm just coming out myself. I am coming out hetero. So 
This goes back, I guess, to the discussions too about how his mom dressed him. And I mean, I guess Phyllis has another read on like what is read as gay and that is dressing well and wearing things that match, right? Like, so it's about dress and it's about fashion which is maybe kind of in the same realm as liking Shakespeare in love in some ways. Like it's an aesthetic. Right. 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 It's like an aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Queerness here is just style. Right. Or like, yeah. Um, so or, we just, but, but style also out of, out of, not out of context. It's like, um, it's against the grain or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Wearing matching socks and ties but like to go to school you know yes as a 10 year old or something not it's yes. not a church recital or whatever yeah yeah exactly that against the grain so I felt like it just then articulated this I don't know kind of thing that we've been seeing in Michael that then Phyllis is directly articulating and maybe outing in some way because not everyone there went with them went to high school and so or I mean went to the same high school with them just she went with him so she's yeah kind of bringing out this piece of information about him in high school which then connects back sort of weirdly to the thing Ryan about the high school reunion you know it's like bringing his high school self and the vulnerability of the high school self into the adult office I love that point about the vulnerability of the high school self. I just think that that's such like a beautiful phrase. And I was really excited here that like, we're starting to get more information about Michael's backstory. And I'm like really hoping we can keep track of this as season three unfolds. Um, and I want to talk about like the kiss, <laughs> especially in relationship to the kiss that begins this episode, but yes. oh my God, we're like, way over time already yeah i think we're gonna get out of control because we've got the kiss to talk about i feel like you've got a good 20 minutes on the kiss easily <laughs> easily. easily we've got all of stanford basically yeah. we've got jim we've got roy roy tyler i we can't have gaydar we've got to talk about we've got gaydar I think this might be the first episode that we've got to call it and split it in two. I can't believe we're doing this, but I think it's the right choice. It's the right choice. I really do. I really do. I mean, we should, you, you called it in over text message. I think you were like, this is going <laughs> to be an omnibus episode. So, um, so we will say to be continued. Okay. That sounds great to be continued. So we will be back in two weeks for more of uh, season three, episode one. See you then. All right. Bye.